Time to begin a worship service. Is it working? Good morning. <laughs> it's time to begin a worship service this morning. I'd like to welcome everyone here. If you're visiting with us, we're certainly glad to have you with us. And we ask that you fill out a visitor's card uh, behind the pew or in front of you where you're sitting and just hand it to someone sitting next to you and we'll make sure that the right people get it. We certainly ask that you do that. This morning our uh, regular preacher is out of town and uh, Nathan Payne will be speaking this morning and we're thankful uh, for men like Nathan who was able to step up and, and we're blessed here at Rome with, with men like that. I want to mention that Friday night they had the, the fifth quarter here. I know Dave will talk about it later, but uh, it was after the, the, the ball game, and, and they had, I don't know, 100 kids. It, it, was, it was unbelievable. So it, it, it was a great, great thing. School's back in. Let's remember our kids and, and the ones who's going away to college. Keep them in our prayers. And remember the sick. Uh, that's uh, in our bulletins. Uh, they will uh, elaborate more on that with the announcements later. This morning, uh, we want to mention that uh, Drew and uh, Tiffany Hustle has placed membership here at Rome, and we would like for you all to stand up, if you would, just to stand up so people can see you, and their son, Aiden. They have a son, Aiden. Oh, come on, Aiden. <laughs> but we're, we're, glad, we're glad to have them with us, and, and uh, please take an opportunity to speak to them uh, before you leave today. I'd like to read a couple verses this morning. Two verses that comes from John chapter 19, and it's uh, just a shorter part of the conversation that uh, Pilate was having with Jesus before he was crucified. Said, then saith Pilate unto him, Speakest thou not unto me? Knowest thou that I have power to crucify thee, and have power to release thee? Jesus answered, Thou couldst have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. Therefore, he that delivereth me unto thee hath the greater sin. All that we have comes from God, and we need to be appreciative of that. Bow with me as we begin our worship service. Father, we thank you for this time that we can gather here this morning. Thankful for another opportunity to be with the brothers and sisters of Christ of like faith. And Father, that we, that we can worship you, that we can glorify you. And, and Father, this is what you would have us to do as Christians. We're thankful for this place that we have to, to gather here. Father, we ask that, that, that you'll be with Chris and his family and, and Marvin as they're away, Father, at the uh, Polishing the Pulpit uh, event this week. We ask that you'll bless them and give them a safe trip back and, and much good can come from this meeting. Father, we are mindful of those who are sick. We pray for them. We pray for everyone that's mentioned in our bulletin. And 
Father, for those who are having uh, upcoming surgeries, we just pray that, that, that you will bless them all. And those, those who are spiritually ill, we ask special blessings for them, Father. It's, uh, it's good to see Jim Haney with us this morning back. Uh, Father, we pray you'll be with him and his cancer and, and uh, Jennifer Baker and, and continue to be with Sandy and, and be with Jerry Fry, Father, with uh, his test and things coming up. Uh, we have so many, and we just, uh, we just pray for them this morning. We ask that you'll be with Nathan this morning as he brings us another lesson, Father. Help him to have a uh, ready remembrance of things that he studied and help us to be good, uh, good hearers and help us to be good doers of your word. Thank you for Jesus. Uh, in his name we pray. Amen. Would you stand for the first song, please? First time this morning, number 761, 761, where he leads, I'll follow. <clears throat> Sweet. Next hymn this morning, number 419, Lord, we come before thee now, 419. <clears throat> and after this hymn, Brother Brian Warren will have our scripture reading and prayer. Lord, we come before thee now, and we 
Help me, please. Our Father in heaven, we're thankful for this day, Father, and we're thankful for the opportunity we have to come here this morning to study a portion of your word, Father, to partake of the Lord's Supper and to sing songs to you. Father, we pray that our service this morning will be seen in, as a blessing in your eyes, Father. <clears throat> be with us as the lesson presented that we can, be, we can take these words and apply them to our life. Father, we pray that you would be with all the sick that are on the list. Father, be with them and the doctors and nurses attending to them. Be with Chris and Marvin and the families as they travel back to us, Father. Give them safe passage as well. Be with us the rest of this week. Help us to be the examples we need to be. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Next hymn this morning, number 53, at Calvary. <clears throat> number 53. Years I spent in vanity and pride, carrying up my Lord's great No, a pilot was for me.
At this point in our service, we have set aside to remember the death of Jesus. We have to remember the sacrifice of Jesus. To prepare minds, I'd like to read from John chapter 13. This is where Jesus has instituted the Last Supper. John records a little bit different version than the other Gospels. Starting in verse 21, after he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, I tell you the truth, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to his, this disciple and said, ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then, dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, son of Simon. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. What you are about to do, do quickly, Jesus told him. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus had said this. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the feast or to give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out, and it was night. When he was gone, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son and himself, and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus then answered, will you really lay down your life for me? I tell you the truth, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. This is the last meal that Jesus would share with his disciples. I find it interesting that in this last meal, he was with two people that would betray him. Two people that were sinners. 
The first was the one that would literally bring Jesus to his death. The next would remain faithful, but at the same time would deny that he was one of Jesus' disciples. So when Jesus was instituting this supper, he was with sinners like he is right now with all of us that are set to partake of this supper. We are followers of Christ, but we are not perfect. Jesus instituted this so we can remember and to remember his body, which is represented with the bread that we are about to partake, so that we can realize that he was our sacrifice. He was our atonement for our sins. With this, let's ask the blessing on the bread. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you so much for your son and his willingness to come to this earth to live, suffer, and die for us, to be the atonement for our sins. Lord, we know that without him that we would be so unworthy to even come to you. Lord, we thank you for his willingness to lay down his life. Lord, let us always never lose sight of that. Lord, this time we ask you to bless this bread that represents his body. Lord, also bless us as we partake of it. For it's through Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Jesus also instituted the cup, the fruit of the vine, which would represent the blood that he would shed on our behalf. This time, let's ask a blessing on it. Our Father in heaven, Lord, again, we come before you thanking you for your son. Lord, we thank you for his willingness to shed his blood on our behalf, that blood that washes away our sins. Lord, we pray that you will bless this through the vine and bless us as we partake of it. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. At this time, we also uh, take a moment to ask the blessing on our offering. Uh, we have receptacles in the back of the auditorium uh, if you would like to uh, offer this morning. It goes to toward the uh, betterment of the church in this area 
toward uh, the missionaries that we support and other many projects that we do. Let's ask a blessing on our offering. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you so much for all the many material blessings that you've given us. Lord, we are blessed beyond measure and we could never come close to repaying you. Lord, we thank you for the means that we have to support ourselves, our families, our ability to never go without. Lord, we pray that you'll bless us as we give back to you, that those that are in charge of using this, these funds can always find the ways that would best serve you. Lord, bless us now and forgive us, for it's through Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Would you please stand? We'll sing the next song, number 598, Standing on the Promises. It's at this time the young children may go to the children's Bible hour. Standing on the promises of Christ my King, through the promises that His friends does bring, glory in the
Thank you. <clears throat> Imitation hymn for this morning, number 369. G 369. <clears throat> Jesus, the loving shepherd. This time with the vine. <clears throat> Scripture reading from this morning is Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Hebrews 10, 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Good morning. He got back up there. I thought I was in trouble. Already. If you're, uh, can you guys hear me on this? Yeah, okay. If you're visiting with us today, as was mentioned before, I am not the regular preacher, so don't hold that against, the, against anybody. Um, and if you don't like my bow tie, you can blame Jerry. He said he loved it, and so I'm going to wear a bow tie for Jerry whenever I get a chance. Uh, it's good to be back. It's you know, I spent three and a half weeks at Fort Knox and then a week in Huntsville, Alabama, and I feel like I haven't seen anybody in a long time. So I'm very happy to be back, and I'm happy to uh, be up here presenting another lesson, something that I've been thinking about and something that I thought maybe you guys would enjoy. So today we're going to talk about promises. Uh, and thank you, John, for leading all those songs with promise in, the, in there. That's to get us in the right mindset. So what, it, what are promises? Well, the dictionary would define promises as a declaration or assurance that one will do a particular thing or that a particular thing will happen. And we've all made promises. You all can raise your hand. Who's, who's ever made a promise? Everybody should be raising their hand at some point, right? But who's ever not kept a promise? The same, everybody's the same, should come out just the same, yeah. We all make promises. Husbands and wives, you make promises to each other. Look at that beautiful girl up there. That's, that's my wife. I was making promises to her that day. You know, parents, you've made promises to your child that you'd always love them, that you'd always take care of them, and also that if they don't behave, they'll be punished. You know, we make promises. If you're having court, you make promises to tell the whole truth, nothing but the truth. You know, Appreciate the laughter. You guys got the joke. <laughs> we all make promises, but for whatever reason, we are not always able to keep our promises, whether it's things out of our control or things that, based on the decisions we make, for whatever reasons, we can't always make um, good on our promises. But luckily, God doesn't have the same problem that we do. God has made several promises to mankind. In fact, one scholar uh, counted up 7,487 7, individual promises in the Bible between God and mankind. I didn't count that number, so don't hold me against me, but that was what a source that I read uh, mentioned. It's a lot of promises. And we know from Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18, that God cannot lie. So if we can use those inf that information to say that if God has said something, whether by directly promising or if he has said something will happen, we can take it as a promise that it will come to pass. So let's look at a couple examples of things that, uh, that, that the Bible talks about in reference to the promises 
of God. The first one is Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 4. It says, he is the rock and his works are perfect and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. Again, talking about how God uh, is just, he is truthful and he is faithful so that we can uh, count on his promises to be maintained. The next one, we look at Joshua chapter 21. Joshua 21, starting in verse 43, it says, So the Lord gave Israel all the land that he has sworn to give to their ancestors, and they took possession of it and settled there. The Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he has sworn it to their ancestors. Not one of their enemies withstood them. The Lord gave all their enemies into their hands. Not one of all of God's promises to Israel failed. Everyone was fulfilled. It's a pretty bold statement. Everything that God said would happen, all the promises that he made to the Israelites came true. Every single one of them. In Psalm chapter 33, in verse 4, it says, For the word of the Lord is right and true, and he is faithful in all that he does. So the Bible tells us that God is God cannot lie. He tells us that he is faithful and that all the promises that he uh, has ever made will be kept and have been kept. So that's really very reassuring to us when we're talking about um, trusting or standing on the promises of God. So for a few moments today, I'm going to look at a couple examples of promises that were made in Scripture and how they were, uh, how they were fulfilled, if they were fulfilled, and then some verses we can look at and hold uh, dear to for, the, uh, for today. Maybe the most famous of promises is that of God's promise to Abraham. Let's turn with me to, to Genesis chapter 12. We're going to be in several chapters in Genesis. But, we, you know, for those who don't know the story, God comes to He's technically Abram at the time, and he tells them uh, all the great things that were, gonna, that were going to happen. As soon as my iPad wakes back up. Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3, starts the uh, promises that God makes for Abram. So verse 1, the Lord has said to Abram, Go from your country and your people and your father's household into the land I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all of the people on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham went, as the Lord told him, and Lot went with him. And he was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. So here we see that God makes a promise to Abram that through him... All of the nations will be blessed, that he would be a, um, he would make Abraham a great um, nation. Everybody would be blessed, and he would give him a special land that had been promised. Abraham being faithful, and if, I'm going to keep saying Abraham, it's Abram, Abraham, you guys just stay with me. Um, but Abraham being faithful gets up, 
and leaves and does as he is told to do. 75 years old, that number will become important later because that's, we're going to count that as the start of God's promise. We skip on a few chapters to chapter 15. Abraham is going on through, the, through his adventures. God comes to him again. Starting in verse 1, after this, the word of the, of the Lord came to Abram in a dream and said, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can I give you since, my, since I remain childless and the one who inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so your servant, so a servant in your household will be my heir. And the Lord, word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son whom is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up to the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. So now God is specifying his promise that not only will he be through Abraham, he will be a great nation, but that his own flesh and blood, his own offspring, will be how this promise comes to fulfillment. Remember, Abraham's already 75 years old. He's a little bit older at this point. And he's not, he doesn't have any children. And he doesn't know how God's going to fulfill this promise. But he has faith, unwavering faith that uh, what God has promised will come to pass. Let's continue on in Genesis 16. Abraham decides that, you know, I don't have any children Sarah says, hey, take my, uh, my, my slave girl, and you can have a child with her, and that way you can have a child so that the promise can be fulfilled. So we see in verse, uh, starting in verse 16, that Hagar bore Abram a son, he gave him the name Ishmael, and that he was 86 years old when he had a son. So Abraham gets a son, but this is not the promised son that God uh, had mentioned. So at 86, he has, a, he has a child, but this is not the right one. And we can get into that, you know, that's another story for a different day. But we see that, this, that the prophecy, or the, not the prophecy, the uh, promise that God had made to Abraham has not yet been fulfilled. But, but Abraham remains faithful. We skip a few more chapters in Genesis. And we see again that uh, in chapter 18, this is actually uh, when the three visitors visit uh, Abram. Now, now he's Abraham now. Um, they visit him on the way to Sodom and Gomorrah. They're going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. The visitors come to Abraham. They, they um, visit Abraham. And in passing, one of the angels, starting in verse 9, says the following. Where is your wife Sarah, they ask. There in the tent, he said. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was eavesdropping. So she was listening at the entrance of the tent, which was behind them. Sarah and Abraham were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So she laughed to herself, and she thought, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have the pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why does she laugh? You, will, I, will, will I really have a child now that I am old, is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the next appointed year, and Sarah will have a son. Again, 
the, prof, the promise has not been fulfilled. These visitors are coming with another purpose in mind, but they point out again that God's promise will be fulfilled. They catch Sarah laughing, and they said, next year, it'll be time. Have faith. And then in chapter 21, again, several chapters later, we see that God's promise was um, fulfilled. Chapter 21, starting in verse 5, it says, Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, just as he had said, and the Lord did what he promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, and at the very time God had promised him. He gave him Abraham gave the name Isaac to his son that Sarah bore him. When he was eight days old, he was, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded, and he was 100 years old when he was born. So we see that God remained faithful to his promise, that Abraham remained uh, confident that the promise would be uh, fulfilled. But it didn't happen right away. I told you that that 75-year-old was, mark was important because it took 25 years for this prophecy, or uh, prophecy, excuse me, this promise uh, to come to fulfillment. But consider what, what Paul wrote in Romans 4. Abraham never wavered. 25 years is a long time to wait for something you really, really want. And think they wanted, they've always wanted these children. They, they never could have children. This is not something that they decided at age 75 they wanted. They'd always wanted a child and it never worked out. So to wait that long for something is impressive. But Paul writes to, to the Romans, chapter 4, starting in 18, Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it would be said to him, so shall your offspring bring. Without weakening in his face, faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. Verse 21 is the one I want you to look at. Being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. And this is why it was credited to him as righteousness. It would, be, it would be hard to maintain your faith that you were going to get something that you were promised for 25 years. That's just kind of human nature. But Abraham never wavered. He trusted God, and God delivered on his promise. The next promise that I want to look at um, is going to be in Ezekiel. So if you want to start turning to Ezekiel... Uh, be in 20, chapter 26. And if you think 25 years is a long time to wait for a promise to be fulfilled, check out this one. So the prophet Ezekiel, if you've not read the book, it's kind of divided into a few parts. Ezekiel um, begins the first several chapters talking about all the bad things that God was going to do to Israel because of their disbelief. He goes on to the middle sections talking about all the bad things that would happen to the enemies of Israel. And then at the end, he talks about how to Israel would be reconciled again uh, to God. So now we're going to look at the promise, uh, God's promise to Tyre. Not a happy promise. Uh, Ty, uh, the book of Ezekiel was written in approximately 590 B.C. Again, this date, I mention it because it will be important uh, later. Fun fact about Ezekiel. Look at chapter twenty or look at chapter three. Verse 
verses 26 and part of 27, I will make your tongue stick to the roof of your mouth so that, when you, that you will be silent and unable to rebuke them, for they are a rebellious people. But when I speak to you, I will open your mouth and you shall say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. God, in, a, in, a, um, in, a way, in an effort to make Ezekiel more believable, let's say, he makes him a mute. He makes him unable to speak unless he is directly speaking the words of God. Which I don't know about you, I think that would make me kind of maybe listen to Ezekiel a little bit better. But of course, we know how Israelites treated their prophets uh, not so much. So Ezekiel can't speak. He can only speak when he's giving direct messages from God. Again, it should be a clue. It's important to listen to what he has to say. So let's look at what he says uh, about Tyre in chapter 26. We'll read a few verses and then we'll dig into it. Starting in, the, in verse 1 of chapter 26, it says, In the eleventh month of the twelfth year, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, because Tyre, Tyre has said to Jerusalem, Aha, the gates of the nation is broken, and the doors have been swung open to me. Now she lies in ruin. I will prosper. Because she has said this, therefore this is what the sovereign Lord has said. I am against you, Tyre. I will bring many nations against you, like the sea casting upon uh, its waves. They will destroy your walls and pull down your towers. I will scrape away her rubble and make her a bare rock. Out of the sea she will become a place to spread fishnets. For I have spoken, declares the sovereign Lord. She will become the plunder of the nations. Skipping down to verse 7. For this is what the sovereign Lord has said. From the north I am going to bring against you, Tyre, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, king of kings with horses and chariots, with horsemen and a great army. He will ravage your settlements on the mainland with swords. He will set up a siege works against you, build up a ramp to your walls, and raise shields against you. Skipping down to verse 12. They will plunder your wealth and loot your merchandise. They will break down your walls and demolish your fine houses and throw your stones, your timber, and your rubble into the sea. I will put an end to your noisy songs, and the music of your harps will be heard no more. I will make you a bare rock, and you will be, become a place to spread nets. For you will never rebuild, for I, the Lord, have spoken. He's pretty specific. He's not going to let Tyre stick around any longer. He's going to have many nations come against her. He's going to tear down the walls. He's going to make this area a bare rock. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, you've all heard of this guy before. He's going to show up, and he's going to tear everything up. So the stones, the timber, all the rubble is going to be cast into the sea, verse 12. And that they will never rebuild. They will be a place for casting nets to fish. Now the question is, does this, pro this promise of God come to fulfillment? Well, Ezekiel doesn't tell us, but if we close our Bibles, we can actually find out that this actually came to promise. So close your Bibles. You don't, you don't need them right now. You're, all, you're looking at me like, this guy's preaching, he says no Bibles. What's, trust me, just stick with me. This story, the first time I ever heard it, was not in a Bible class, it was not in a lecture. It was in a military history class. 
a class I learned about uh, all the wars and how people waged wars throughout history. And this was brought up, and it was mentioned in passing that this is actually Bible verses associated with it, which really piqued my interest in what promises that uh, God would make and specifically what, what links he would go to to fulfill these promises. So all of this we can prove happened without the use of our Bible, strictly through secular history. You guys have heard of Josephus. He was a Jewish historian a long, long time ago. He and others wrote about the, the events of uh, Tyre. So just as the Bible says, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, does lay siege to Tyre. He comes from the north on his way down to Jerusalem. He starts attacking about three years after the book is written in 587 B.C. And he sieges the city for 13 years. There's a picture of old Nebuchadnezzar. He looks very European, but that's how everybody drew people back in the day. They didn't have photographs. But if you look, if you Google Nebuchadnezzar, that's the picture that shows up. The mainland was captured. When I was studying this, I, I, I never caught of all the years I studied this, it kept talking about the mainland would do this, the mainland would do this, the Nebuchadnezzar would do this to the mainland. That's important. That's an important word. The mainland was captured, but their residents moved to the inner city, which happened to be on a rocky island off the coast. What separated the mainland from the rocky uh, island was a 30-foot deep channel about half a mile offshore. No way to cross it without a navy, without boats, without advances in uh, the art of war. Nebuchadnezzar was unable to ever get there. The rocky island inner city where all the, the good stuff was, had a 150-foot-wide tall excuse me, wall on the land side. So if they were ever to be attacked, if they ever came up to somebody who had a catapult that could shoot that far, there was a wall to stop it from being damaged. And like I said, without a modern navy, eventually after 13 years of trying his best and doing everything he could do, Nebuchadnezzar moved on. So the, pro so the question is, what did the, what did the, the people of Tyre, Tyre think? They knew about this prophecy. They knew that they were, they, God said that they were going to be completely destroyed, but yet they were living the good life on the island, unaffected by, at the time, the greatest, um, uh, the greatest army in the world. Did they think that the promise had failed? Did they think God could not do what he said they would do, they'd have to wait until Alexander the Great showed up in 332 B.C. Because he, when he conquered the world, start, came from the north, conquered all of Israel, and moved his way and eventually conquered it, Egypt. On his, uh, that's where he ended up. But he attacked Tyre in 332 B.C. There's a bust of old Alexander. Initially, he wanted peace with the city. Didn't want anything to do with it. He saw, he saw the, the island city and decided that's going to be a lot of work. I'm going to move on. He offered them peace in exchange for being able to worship on the island. They had a, they had a temple to Hercules. Alexander the Great thought he was from or a descendant of Hercules. So he says, you guys, can, you guys can do your own thing. I'll leave you alone. Just let me worship. They said, no, and you can't do anything about it because we're on our island. 
I wouldn't necessarily tell somebody with the last name the Great, no, but they did. So Alexander the Great said, okay, fine, I'm going to take your city. So he used the ruins of the main city, it's on the mainland, to create a land bridge. He literally wiped the land clear of all its stone, its rubble, its timber, and created a land bridge. And in seven months, he completely destroyed the city. Nebuchadnezzar couldn't do it in 13 years. 242 years passed. And Alexander does it in seven months. There's, an, there's a, a, a side-by-side image. You can see, I don't know if you, how well you can see the laser pointer. All right, you can't see the laser pointer. But you can see that the, the main city and the island inner city surrounded by all of the, the wall, and then what it looked like in uh, 1873, where there's now, instead of an island, there is a peninsula. This is modern day Tyre. You can see where the island used to be. Part of the island actually collapsed and fell into the sea. Um, you can go there today. It is a small um, fishing um, city. They never rebuilt on the ancient sites, they have small fishing huts. The actual, the land bridge that was created by Alexander the Great was actually, is actually a good place to fish, they say. All of the things that God said would happen to Tyre, that many nations would come against her, that the walls would be torn down, that she would become a bare, flat rock, that Nebuchadnezzar would come, that the stone, the timber, and even the soil would be cast into the sea. That they would never be able to be rebuilt. And that they would be a place to cast, cast, their, cast fishing nets. Sounds like God fully kept his promise, doesn't it? So we look at these two examples of things that God has promised will happen that came to be. And we can find other examples, surely, but... Uh, with those two examples, if we, if we can take that as, okay, that's proof positive, one through the Bible and one through secular history, that if God makes a promise, he's going to keep it, what promises can we look at today? What promises can we hope, for, hope on today? Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you plans to give you hope in a the future, then you will call on my name and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek with all your heart. Maybe you're here today and you're lost. You don't know, don't know what your life, um, what direction in life you should be going. We've all been there. If you know, college age kids, people in high school, they have to figure out what their life's going to be. And sometimes that's scary and you don't know what to do. God makes a promise for us that he has plans for us, good plans. And that if we call on his name, if we pray to him, he hears us. And that if we seek him, we will find him. Another comforting promise, a guarantee that we have from God. How about in Philippians chapter 4? Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. 
And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guide your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Maybe you're here today, and you're worrying. Something's troubling your heart. You're anxious about the things going on in life. A situation that you can't control, and you don't know what to do. The Bible tells us that we have a promise from God. That we don't need to be anxious. That if we go to God, if we pray to Him, He will hear us. And He will give us a peace which goes beyond anything we can understand and keep us safe. How about in 2 Corinthians chapter 12? Paul writes that he was given a thorn in his flesh, a messenger from Satan to tempt him, torment him. Three times he pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But the Lord said to Paul, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Maybe you're here today and you're struggling. You've got something bothering you and you don't know how to, to get away from it. And you're, at, you're sitting here asking God, help me. Take this away from me. We have that promise that we have grace, that his grace that he gives to us is sufficient. That his power that we have access to is made more perfect through our weakness. Another great promise that we can hold on to. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you except that which is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide you a way out so you can endure it. Maybe you're here today and you're struggling with sin, with temptations, with things that you don't think you're able to handle. God promises that he'll never give you something more than what you can deal with. And that even when he gives you something that's incredibly difficult, he also gives you a way to get out of it. He gives you an escape plan to help you so that you can deal with those temptations. Look at 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. Maybe you're struggling with your sins and you don't know that God... Could ever love you anymore. He says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and he will forgive us of our sins and purify us from our unrighteousness. We have a promise from God that if we confess our sins, if we turn to God, he will remain faithful to us and forgive us when we mess up. And John 14, the last one, verses 1 through 3. This is Jesus talking to his disciples before he's, he leaves. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's houses there are many rooms, and if it were not so, I would have told you. And I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, so that you may be where I am. Here Jesus tells us, gives us a promise and a guarantee that one day he will come back for us. And that all those who remain in God's love will be given, uh, there will be a room prepared for us so that we may go to the Father. And we may go to Jesus and be with him for eternity. Maybe today you're here, you're struggling uh, with sins or with temptations or with just the troubles of life. Know that you have that promise of peace, that promise of forgiveness, the promise to be able to overcome a temptation. 
Maybe you're here today and you've never uh, accepted God or accepted Jesus as your Savior. One more bonus promise I give to you today. When the people of the first century were, were troubled about what they had just done to Jesus, they asked, they asked Peter, what can we do? And these are his words. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Verse 39. This promise is for you and for all the children who are far off, for all all of whom the Lord will call. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have a promise of eternal life. You have a promise that one day Jesus will take you to where he is and you'll be with him forever. That you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit to help you with the struggles of life. But you must accept that gift. You must put him on a baptism uh, confess your sins, and Jesus' promises will be uh, fulfilled. If you have a need, please come. It's tonight. Together we stand and as we sing. Please be seated.
Welcome everyone, final, welcome today. Uh, good job, Nathan, um, good points. We know that we can rely on the promises that we've been given. Um, if you didn't get one of these, it's because we didn't have them out on the table this morning. We found them back in the office after most everyone was assembled. So if you did not get one of these, I think they're on the table uh, now. Rome Journal, our news bulletin. Um, as was mentioned, Chris, his family, Marvin, um, uh, are in Tennessee at Polishing the Pulpit, and there is a, an article on Polishing the Pulpit on the front of this, if you're wondering what that is. Uh, also, the Trevathans, at least part of the family, um, I think are taking Katie back uh, to school today uh, for counts for their absence. Uh, there is a deacons meeting at 5 o'clock this evening, and then, uh, as usual, meet with the elders at 7 o'clock after worship. Worship will be this evening at 6 o'clock, so I encourage everyone to be back. Uh, Jennifer um, Baker uh, will be having surgery September 21st, I believe, and they have a uh, meeting with the doctor tomorrow. Jerry Fry um, is going up to Columbus on Thursday, I believe, to find out what they're going to do about uh, the heart problems that he is currently having. So let's keep both of them and those others that we regularly pray for and are concerned about who are struggling with uh, cancer and other, other issues as well. August 26th is a game night here, uh, planned for that. And then uh, August 28th uh, is our potluck. <clears throat> Some information will be shared uh, for uh, anyone who's interested in the preschool to four grade uh, during, during that potluck meeting. We are in need of a, a two and three year old uh, class, Bible class teacher uh, for the fall quarter and also uh, a Bible hour teacher for the fall quarter. See Connie Miller um, if you have any questions about that. If there's nothing else, we'll have one more song and then we'll be dismissed in prayer. Let's please stand again. We'll sing hymn number 738. We will glorify the King of Kings. And after this hymn, Brother Jason Stevens will have a prayer. We will glorify the Dear Lord, we thank you for this beautiful day you've blessed us with. We thank you for the opportunity to come and worship you again here in this place. And we pray that 
the worship we have conducted today has been pleasing unto you and has uh, been in truth and in spirit, Lord. We thank you for Nathan, and we thank you for uh, all those who work to spread your kingdom, Lord. We pray that you will continue uh, to watch over our families. We pray that you will watch over our health of our families. We pray that you will be with those who are traveling. Lord, we pray for uh, those who are sick. We pray that you will be with us now as we go through this week. Watch over us, protect us, and it's through Jesus we pray. Amen.